Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 297. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 297 you're listening to. That's right. We're creeping ever so closer to 300. My guest today is the return of former WCA guest Michael Rosen, who's a Grammy-winning producer and engineer who's worked with Santana, Rancid, Papa Roach, Tesla, AFI, The Donnas, Journey, Death Angel, uh, Testament. Yeah, he has been around the block. And Michael and I originally sat down on episode number 22, long time ago. And at the time, we did it at his East Bay Recorders uh, studio in Berkeley, California. Now we do our interview from his East Bay Recorders studio in Oakland, California. Bit of a move, couple changes, couple things have happened since then, as they always do. Michael is one of my buddies here in the Bay Area that uh, I go to breakfast or lunch occasionally with and have coffee and talk shop. And so he's a buddy of mine, and I'm really happy to have him back on the show. So Michael Rosen coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about taking a day off. Believe it or not, I'm actually not even drinking the coffee right now. I know. Hell must have frozen over. It's just not very pleasant outside, so I'm I'm having a cold drink. Let's talk about taking a day off, huh? Now, I know that that sounds scary to a lot of you. It stresses you out. If you're not at your studio or you're not out in the field or you're not, you're not doing something audio-related and getting paid, a lot of you freak out. I know you do. Believe me, I've been there. In fact, I think I'm still there. I think I still get stressed out if I'm not working. But... In all honesty, in all seriousness, you got to take a day off. It's absolutely critical that you do so. You got to clear the brain. Whatever it is you're going to do on your day off, do it and enjoy the hell out of it, right? I don't care if you're going to sleep all day, watch movies all day, listen to records, read books, go exercise, whatever it is you do on your day off. Hang out with your family, hang out with your friends. Well, you know, it's a little challenging right now, but, but by all means, step away from the thing it is you do for money and relax your brain and throw caution to the wind, at least for a day, you know? It's really difficult because a lot of us have studios at home, especially now, I bet a lot more of you have studios at home than, than uh, pre-pandemic. I'm sure a lot of you have brought gear home, bought new gear, set up new spots, new, you know, even if it's a, uh, an interface and a laptop on the kitchen table with a pair of headphones, you're working from home in some capacity, I'm sure. And that's okay, totally cool. I'm a firm believer in it, but it's difficult to walk away from it when it's right in front of you because, oh, uh, I don't know. You're trying to take a day off, you're checking texts, the client says, hey, can we get a revision? Sure. I'll sit down in front of the laptop, pop up in Pro Tools and make a change to the mix. Well, that's another aspect of this. The do not disturb functions on our phones. It's easy for me to say, ignore your phone. I know that's difficult for a lot of you. It is for me. But if you can, ignore your phone. If you can't, just say, just reply back and say, yeah, no problem. I'll take care of that tomorrow. You know, 
Nobody is going to uh, die if a record is not completed or a mix change is not completed immediately. You know, I, I know a lot of you don't text your plumber at six at night saying, hey, I have an emergency. I need you to come right now. I need you to fix this problem right now. If you do and they happen to answer, they're going to charge you a ton of money to do it, whatever it is, because they operate in, quote unquote, business hours, right? So set your business hours, set your parameters around your work time, set your barriers around your days off. And don't let people come into that space. Don't let them interrupt your, your relaxation. You know, it's one thing like when we're working and we're in the zone and we get interrupted, that sucks. What also sucks to get interrupted when we're relaxing. You don't want to be interrupted. So create the barriers, create the, you know, set the parameters, create the protocol for getting in touch with you and let your clients know. You know, if you're coming up on a weekend and you kind of sense, you know, there's expectations, oh yeah, we're gonna get it done this weekend. Make sure that they know that if you don't work weekends, let them know that. Just say, yeah, great, I'll, I'll tackle that on Monday. I don't work on weekends. And, you know, if they put up a bit of a fight about it, well, tough shit, man. This is, this is your life too. So I know that there's uh, a lot of my peers and friends out there who might disagree with that attitude. And that's okay. That's, it's my opinion. And if you share in it, great. If you don't, well, do your thing. That's no problem. So that's it. You know, there's not much more to say about that. I encourage you to take time off for yourself, for your family, for, your, for you and your friends or those closest to you, girlfriends, boyfriends, spouses, etc. our furry friends, our animals. So uh, yeah, take some time off, relax that brain, sleep, read, exercise, watch TV, whatever it is you're gonna do, go do it and enjoy the hell out of it. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Evan are two of the nicest people on the planet, easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might've met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might've heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. 
I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. Let's get to it. Michael Rosen here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, Matt. Or welcome back. Yes. Number uh, 20, back in the house. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> I'd have to look it up. I don't even remember which episode it was. It was early. Yeah. It was a long time ago. So back then, you were, East Bay Recorders was, your studio was located in Berkeley. Right. You were teaching, and I think... Yeah, I mean, really, not much has changed except well, we were, you're just was, in a new location. I'm in a new location. I was partners with Michael Urbano back then. Oh, that's right. And now he's he's gone his own separate way. Michael Urbano is like the, the bee of recording. He just kind of pollinates things here and there and just kind of moves on about his way. Right. I'm still teaching, and now we're in a new spot. The owner of that spot needed the building back because her business was growing by leaps and bounds, so... She felt super bad about it, not as bad as I did, because that place was a studio for 20 years. It was San Pablo Recorders before I had it with John Evans and Dale Everingham worked out of there a little bit. D Wiz was his handle. Hmm. He did like E40 and stuff like that. And then he split and then this guy named Bon Bergeron took it over and then Michael and I took it over from him. How long did that last? For me at yeah. East Bay Recorders? Yeah. I was there for eight and a half years. What were the pros and the cons of that place? The pros was that it was near Casa Latina. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that place. And it sounded really good, and it was kind of buried in this little backyard that was super vibey. And the cons were it had no air conditioning and that it was very small. It was very tight quarters, so you got a full band in there. It was like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, mm. <laughs> to get in and around. But it sounded great. And it worked out. The big problem was that as I started growing there and adding more and more gear, there was no ventilation or air conditioning. So the more gear I put in there, it basically just became like a hot box. So when I was tracking a full band, it got pretty brutal. <laughs> gear and bodies. Gear and bodies and no air was just a funny combination. Huh. But it was off the street and nobody knew I was there. Like I was behind the storefront and her storefront wasn't marked. So nobody ever messed with and, us. And, and the storefront, I don't think our fellow audio professionals will know who Erica Tanov is, but she's a clothing designer. Right. And I didn't know who she was until... Like one day I happened to, this is in John's days. I said, oh yeah, John's running from our friend Stephen Emerson's wife, Erica Tanov. And my wife, yeah. she was like, the clothing designer? Yeah. It's like, oh, 
I did, this person's a somebody. And the best part of that whole story was that Steve Emerson, who you just mentioned, when I was a kid starting out at the Automat as an assistant, right, a gopher to assistant, my second project was his band, True West. I think he was the guitar player or the drummer or something like that. Yeah. And Sandy Perlman had rented a room and the Automat in the back that was kind of his. And he had an engineer named Paul Mandel, and Paul got to engineer this true west and they asked for me as an assistant on it so that was like one of my first gigs assisting on this record and we were using do you remember the ampex 1200s they were the first machine with the microprocessor locator mm -hmm. so we had just finished recording a track and we're talking and all of a sudden we look over and the machine started to go in rewind <laughs> And it put itself in record because the microprocessor brain lost its mind. <laughs> so I remember Paul diving across the room to unplug it so it didn't erase the stuff that we had done. <laughs> and when I got established at East Bay Recorders, Steve came by and I hadn't seen him in a million years. And he looked at me and he goes, you look familiar. Do I know you? And this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh my God, it's you. You were the assistant on that project. So that was the, the, the deep connection to that space was Steve Emerson. So ultimately you left yeah. East Bay Recorders and that was kind of a bummer. You were getting really settled there and that was becoming a nice little hub. Yeah. She gave me a long time to, to find a space. She, she was super cool. Like I said, she didn't just say, okay, you got to get out of here. Like I painted the outside of the building and she finally, she sat me down and she goes, look, you have to stop <laughs> because I need this back. So she gave me like six months and I could not find anything like around the Bay Area to move into. Either it was Berkeley and there was too many regulations or it was like Hayward or someplace like that. So a friend of mine has a studio called Skyline and he had these three rehearsal rooms that were across the hall from him. So I just took one of these rehearsal rooms and I set up my gear in there for about seven months. And it was a little small and also no air. So I could do a little bit of tracking if I wanted to, but I could definitely mix. There was a booth so I could do vocal overdubs and stuff like that. So that was my little interim thing until the space came up here. And then I sort of jumped on this. So it was about seven months or so where I was just kind of in this little spot that I could kind of at least continue to work. So the spot we're in now is in Oakland. So this is a rehearsal place called Soundwaves. And this has been the guy who owns this. It's funny. It's a guy named Al Casey, And I've known Al for like 30 years. I did two records for him. He had a band called Propeller, which was kind of this Tom Petty alt country rock thing that was super cool. And then he was also in a band called Exhibit A, which featured Alex Skolnick from Testament, kind of a little side project that he had going. So I've known this place and Al for a long time. And Rancid's rehearsed here, Testament's rehearsed here. Ex I mean, everybody who's in the Bay Area has come through this place at one time. And it started here at Wood Street. And then he moved over to the Oakland Music Complex. Like he was partners over there and built that place, which was like a six-story, 300-room rehearsal space. Got into a little thing with the owner, the co-owner. Somehow they just kind of got a little weird. And then he got rid of that. And now he just came back to this space. And this is a bit of a sprawling complex, but it's a lot bigger than I realized. Oh, it's the insane. The property's bigger than Yeah, I it's realized. insane. Like there's like, if you walk through like this little corridor on the other side, there's like people living in shipping containers. <laughs> and there's a giant sound stage where he does videos and stuff like that. A couple of movies. I, I never remember the name, the Boots Riley movie that was featured. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. yeah. 
out of Oakland, did a lot of shooting there, a lot of rap videos, a lot of rock videos. Uh, so he's got a full soundstage. So on that side, of the other side of like this weird hallway, there's another guy who's got another studio. I think it's called Coyote or something like that. There's a couple of old like warhorse rock dudes who make cables and a guy who works for Slayer fixing guitars and setting up guitars has a container and a shop over there. So it's crazy. There's like secret passages to guys who've been here for a long time and... Al's a really cool guy. It's like the patron saint of all music. Most people who've done stuff in the Bay Area know him and of this place. The room that we're actually in now, Faith No More used to use as their recording and rehearsal space. Oh, they use this. Yeah, this room. And then they took over Testament's old room because Testament built kind of like their first ad hoc studio across the hall. So Faith No More, Billy was using this room and then he's moved over to this other room that Testament had. And hmm. so Did uh, Faith No More record in this space for their new They recorded record? here, but I don't know exactly what, because, you know, they kind of dropped off the radar for a little bit. And I know that Billy's done producing of other stuff and, and some things, and I haven't run into him, but he used this for stuff. I don't know what, don't know if it came out to be Faith No More or other stuff. I know he's produced other bands a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not sure what he actually used it for. So what was involved? I mean, I know it was involved, but for the listener, tell us what was involved in getting in here. So figuring it out with Al, I had to put in a new floor because they had some problems with water on the floor. So we pulled everything out of this room and put in a new floor and like new concrete floor, new concrete floor, like poured a new slab in this thing. And it's funny, we were talking a little bit about the other studio that I was in. And before we came on, we were talking about Green Day. So I've always had and you've had studios like I've always had studios like there's this room and there's that room. And being in this other little studio, it's kind of like the rooms didn't matter as much. Like I was doing drums right behind me and I was on headphones and the singer was right there. And when I talked to Chris Dugan, he said that that's kind of how Green Day did their last record with Butch. Like, okay, you go into that room and here's the control room. And I've heard from other guys that it's kind of like the old setup is becoming a little bit different. It's not like, here's my hermetically sealed room and your hermetically sealed room. So Putting this together, I thought I would try something like that, where it's like you could walk from the control room to the other space and not have a booth and try and make it a little bit more open. So the build out probably was a little less than it would be if you were building a proper studio where you'd put, you know, wall and wall and wall and glass and stuff like that and try and make sure that everything is completely separated. So I have a big control room and then a live room. And I did put in a couple of ISO booths so that you could put guitars in there just to kind of isolate stuff because I do do a lot of hard rock and punk rock stuff. And hmm. put up a wall, put up a wall, do this, you know. And I have a friend who is a contractor. So, you know, we put up walls and there you go. <laughs> but cost, cost was a lot lower because you didn't go in on the whole, like, hermetically sealed yeah, I mean, you know, of rooms. I don't have $100,000 to build a recording studio. Nobody right. has, you know, $100,000 to book a recording studio anymore. So it's not, it wasn't as deep as probably I could have been, but. But it's it's an interesting model that, what would you call it? The open control so. room model. Yeah, and, and you know, the other person I saw that I, that I really dug was Sylvia Massey had a picture where it was just like, yeah. here's, a, here's my board, here's the, the band. And it's like, and the other funny thing about it is when I did Papa Roach years ago, I did Paramore, the Paramore records, and we did it in the Paramore mansion that everybody was using at that time. It was Mars Volta, we did it, I think Chemical Romance, like a bunch of bands were renting this mansion in Los Angeles. And we just had this giant ballroom. It was 60 feet long and 45 foot high ceilings and brought all my gear and I just set up my stuff at one end and they were at the other end and 
we're all just kind of in the same room and it's like, well, this feels kind of cool. We're all in this together, like an old Led Zeppelin record or something like that, where you just get a castle and, you know, you're just there. And The first exposure to that for me was a zillion years ago with my friend Craig Schumacher, who runs Wave Lab Studios in Tucson, Arizona, and is responsible for the Potluck Audio Conference and the Tape Op Audio Conference. And he has recorded like Calexico and Devochka and Nico Case. And he always would have an open control room situation. Yeah. And his records have this expanse to them. I was always fascinated by that. And so I'm excited that I can come and do some work here because I don't know if it's the pandemic that's causing <laughs> reevaluation of everything, but it's causing me to just go, why do we have to do it like we did it in the 70s and the 80s? Yeah. Totally. Or the 90s for that matter. Yeah. And you know that, so when I had the other little interim space, that kind of hit me too, because I was sitting at my console and I had Lars from Rancid and the old from Casuals was behind me doing a guitar. And he goes, let me see if a vocal works on this. And rather than, okay, well, you go in here, blah, 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 blah. I had a microphone right there for talk. And I said, stand up. <laughs> he stood up. I didn't blast the speakers. It sounded maybe a little bit more than headphone bleed. But it was kind of like this whole thing was a little bit more connected. And he stood up and he sang. And it's like, yeah, that's great. And I was like, sounds great to me. And it just kind of felt like you were in it a little bit more rather than doing it. You were just in it. And I thought, all right, I think I kind of like this. We're just kind of getting through it and i think that bands are kind of like that these days i think it's a little different like they just want to do stuff they don't want to quote unquote do it you know what i mean like let's just kind of throw it out there and so I, i'm kind of excited about it i think it's kind of a new wave and ironically enough the first project i did in here the new studio with charger with his matt freeman from rancid he's sitting behind me doing bass overdubs with headphones on and i was like oh here i was worrying about leakage or this and i was like no, no i want to put headphones on so i put headphones on and you kind of get in the the thing a little bit deeper with him because I'm listening like he's listening and I would tweak the headphone mix so that he could hear what he wanted and I was kind of with him a little bit more. Would you would you be on the same headphone mix? I was actually, I was on the same headphone mix. So if he said, can I get more of something? I knew what he was talking about because I was listening to his mix and I could go, oh, he's not really hearing the hi-hat in this one part. So I could kind of goad him in the right direction to what, I think he was looking for timing wise rather than mm. just going, oh, okay, well, there he is on his own. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting and timely that the first thing is like, yeah, give me headphones and I'll sit behind you. And I thought, all right, maybe this will work. I experienced it on a limited basis. I had this one voiceover client that would just come over to my house. She'd have like 20 minutes worth of VO to do. I'm like, all right, well, why don't you just come over? Yeah. So she comes in, plop a mic down. We both put on headphones, instant communication. Yeah, totally. She could see when I'm recording. She could see when I've stopped and just the interaction was so much faster. There wasn't this whole like, oh, sorry, I didn't have the talk back button pushed down or, yeah. oh, your headphones aren't plugged in and you can't hear me. Oh, okay. Let me go run out and deal with that. Yeah. Well, you're an engineer. How, how many times in the past have you like put on headphones and moved the mic to find the right spot so you could hear it, right? Oh, yeah. So when you're actually working and I did something a while back where I had two guitar players and a singer and we were working on the arrangement of the song and I'm sitting there and I said, well, wait a second, let's just record this. Like, why? I don't need to practice anything. And the guy was there and here. So I, while we're working on the song, I had headphones on. I moved the mics around. It's like, yeah, that sounds great. So I kind of felt like I was in it with them a little bit deeper. Like I was even to the point where it's like, oh, sorry, my chair squeaked. And I had to cough. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, trying to make sure I don't fuck up the take yeah. by coughing and stuff like that. But it kind of brought me into their thing a little bit more than them just kind of being my guinea pigs or, you know, like, here, I'll just do this. So I think it's kind of cool both ways. I think it's... I think it might be a thing. I don't know. Do you think it balances itself out over time as far as 
if you do the old way, you're separated. There's all the things you got to handle. But don't you also have to stop and check? Yeah, and go, for sure. All right. Well, like let's you see. have to listen back. And, How you does know. the kick drum really sound? Exactly. I mean, at some point you're going to have to go, okay, wait, let's put this on speakers and make sure that we're not living just in headphone world. But I think that's kind of cool because, again, you're kind of with them. And I mean, this is all a little bit new because I'm just kind of over the last eight months being in this other spot and now this. We'll see. You know, there are certain things, you know, you don't want to blow your brains out with headphones, which you can kind of tend to do a little bit. If you're just listening to a click track way up loud <laughs> in drums, you can hurt yourself. So you have to be a little bit mindful of it. But so far, you know, I think some version of that or some maybe hybrid of that is going to be kind of cool. And I think, at least from what I can tell in my experiences, I think that the bands kind of dig it. Because the funny thing is that even the talkback switch, like you were just saying, it's like, I don't know about you, but I just have a mic on my console and I have it coming through a channel on the Pro Tools. So talkback is always on. Like back in the day, when you hit talkback, you'd push the button and go, okay, try it again. And you'd let it up. Even my artists don't remember that. They just start talking and it's like, well, you know that talkback's not on all the time. Now it is on all the time. So they're even used to just being able to communicate without having to go through even that teeny tiny little interface of pushing the talkback button. So mm. maybe those days are just like, here, come on, let's let's do it. Come on. It's changed. Well, and the artists that, that are coming up aren't rooted in the old way of doing things anyway. So... Yeah you can get away with doing it this way. Has anybody questioned it so far? Not I mean, so far. I think, like I said, I think they like it because they just start talking like the artists can hear them out there. And it's like, you didn't push a talk back button. You think I'm always on? And they kind of go, yeah, like they're right there. Can't they just hear me talk? And it's like, well, don't you remember the old days? You pushed the talk back button and you let it up. And they're like, no, I don't remember that at all. Hmm. I just want to talk. There's the person right there. So I think that the old ways, people are forgetting a little bit. I think that they just want this constant communication and being able to hear immediately and talk immediately. And just The session like, that you just did with Charger, was that already set up prior to the studio being built? It was. They were the first one on the docket. They, and they were had been booked even earlier. And then when the pandemic came along, they, they just shut everything down and they said, well, we're not going to do it right now. And then they finally were like, well, wait a second. We got stuff to do on the other side of this thing, which I think bands are going to hopefully figure out is that if you just wait for this thing to end, then go into a studio, everybody's going to be sort of in the same point. So they said, well, let's, let's go in the studio and start working on the record. So when this thing is over, we can go to work and stuff like that. So we moved it back some, but it had been on the books for a while. Mm. I had booked another studio until this place kind of became real and I said well let's just move it back a little further and we'll just make it the first project in the new spot well it's so much better than the old East Bay recorders in the fact that the ceilings are really tall yeah, yeah. and it is right next to the freeway hence the truck we just heard passing right. by there's a charm to that let's talk about the uncomfortable part of it mm -hmm. there is a shit ton of homeless in this area like just when you get off the freeway and you go down MLK yeah I mean it's tent city yeah, it's, it's pretty much children of the corn across the street. Well, and then down where we're at on Wood Street, there used to be an old Oakland train station. Yeah, it's still, it's still down the way because when we were looking for a new home, we actually looked at a spot that was down the street. So the good news, bad news, I don't know, depending on your political bent, is that the gentrification is coming. Like the train station is about a quarter of a mile down. And on the other side of that, that's where the new condos and everything are kind of coming. So it's coming down the street. And I suspect in the next year, year and a half, the homeless will probably be gone from 
outside because it's so close to the city. Like literally the freeway exit to San Francisco is right next door to us. So if you're working in the East Bay or living over here and working in the city, boom, you're right onto the bridge. So, yeah. But, you know, typically, man, studios were always built in the worst neighborhoods. Like you did not put your million dollar studio in a million dollar neighborhood because then it costs two million. So we've always had the best studios in the shittiest neighborhoods in the world. Yeah. That's for sure. And the the problem with the gentrification coming is, is that it causes everything else around it to go up in price. Yeah. So that's, you know, the, the plus and minus. I mean, the homeless thing is just a sad thing just in general. Like, I mean, we could. That, un- that could be a whole podcast. Yeah, like other itself. levels. I mean, it just makes you feel bad. But it's also it's it's pretty out of control because we're sort of on the other side of this building where the rehearsal rooms are across the street from that is just an open lot so it's basically they've built like a a city is that train station it's no longer well i know it's no longer a train station but like is it boarded up i don't know what they're going to keep it because they moved it to emeryville the actual stop right so i don't know if they're going to keep the building for historic things it looks pretty cool but i don't know it was an amtrak station it was an amtrak station so they're actually up to that in the building coming this way. So I don't know if they're going to keep it and repurpose it for something or if they're just going to tear it down and put condos in, but they're pretty much up to that spot. And across the street is a school from it, which has got a big football field. And I don't know if it's a middle school or high school, but there's actually like a proper school and, you know, a, a playing field. So somebody's using it. And- yeah. The question that keeps coming up, I have these conversations with one of my, one of my brothers about commercial real estate because the pandemic is causing a lot of reevaluation in all industries. And I think there's a lot of companies that realize it's actually cheaper to have everybody work from home. We don't have to rent these crazy expensive spots. Case in point, REI has a big building they're getting rid of because everybody's gonna work from home for the foreseeable future. So I wonder what that's gonna do to the cost of real estate and the ability for potential studios to create new spots because of vacancies and openings in places and and less demand. Well, maybe it'll kind of level things out the other way. Like everything was just driving it so high the other way. Maybe this is the equalizer to where it's like, okay, you can't get that much per foot in San Francisco and we want you to come back or we want people to to do business there. Because I lived in the city for a long time and now it's crazy. To live over there is insane. Yeah. Even in the East Bay, it's getting insane. Like the rents, you're like, can afford that yeah and a lot of people seem to be leaving not only san francisco but california in general for a well, number if you can of- work remote like wouldn't you like if you if your business is all waking and tight my daughter has two friends who um, worked at tech companies they've just become digital nomads they said giving up our place in the city and right now they're on their parents couch or their parents house and they're going to go hang out in hawaii for a while they're going to hang out in europe they got a computer with like fast internet it is an interesting thing but i hope the silver lining is is for more studios to arrive on the scene as a result well hope so i would like to see more recording i always think that especially in these days like i mean we need music and all this stuff more than ever i mean i'm i'm gonna be the holdout i'm going down swinging this this is it for me i think that more people should go to studios and work in studios proper studios not kids bedrooms and stuff like that just to experience it yeah I think the more the merrier. And I think there are. I think there are There are more people. I mean, maybe they can just get out of their bedrooms and their garages and actually build places. But it seems like there's more stuff. Well, and it, I, I wonder if people are just going to be so pent up with, I got to get out of my house. We, oh, yeah. We got to get the band together. And once a, a vaccine is widely available, I wonder if we're just going to see a crap ton of people like 
booking studios left and right. I, th- I My sense is, yes. I mean, at least I hope, like, going to concerts, going out, like, after all this time, it's like, yes, we like people. We want to go out and do stuff. Like, let's get out of here. And so I, I would hope so. I mean, if this is the permanent condition, then, <laughs> But, you know, I... <laughs> I think that people, our natural state is to be together. So I'm hoping that once they figure that out, people go, yes, let's let's get back together. Let's do this thing. Let's make music. Let's go see music. Let's go out and have dinner someplace in a restaurant. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. You know, I forgot to ask, back to the all-in-one control room studio situation, how do you do that if you have drums like going for take after take after take and you're in this relatively close distance to those drums? Well, so far at the moment, I like on this last thing, I wore headphones to be with them. Right. I have this crazy little design for splitting the control room in the other room and I have these doors that I'm going to make that are panels that I can open and close so I can close it off and actually listen on speakers a little bit. And then when I want to go back to being open, they kind of, they'll turn and Mm -hmm. I can pocket them on either side of the opening. So it'll kind of be a little bit of a cheat because I do like listening on speakers and without killing myself. So that's the goal at the moment is I'll be able to do both. I can open it up or I can have these fancy doors that I'm going to have made in place so I can close it off enough to where I can listen on speakers without being crazy. Yeah, because even as a drummer, there's only so much FaceTime with a drum set that I want to do as a spectator. Yeah. (laughs) So that's my hearing question. Let's talk about the health thing. So you recently had hip surgery. I did. Hip replacement surgery. I had hip replacement. And you feel a thousand times better. You know, it's been barking at me a little bit because building a studio while you're recovering from a hip replacement probably could have taken it a little bit easier. It's barking a little bit at me the last week or so now that I've calmed down somewhat. But yeah, the, the pain from the hip, that was bothering me. Completely gone. Like literally the next day after surgery, it was crazy. It was like, oh my God, that's gone. Now it's just rehab pain like my thigh and my 
my back and stuff like that, kind of getting used to the fact that it's not pain from the same spot. What was the source of that? Was that from like years of just sitting? Oh, you know, I didn't ever ask. It was the actual thing was called devascular necrosis, like where the top of the femur kind of lost blood and it just kind of crumbled. Right. I mean, I sat for a long time and nobody told me the first 15 years that you should actually get up out of the chair and do something else. That, so, that's why I raised the question, because it's yeah. like, well, why did you have to have that? And wh how did that start? What could you have done that would have alleviated that? Probably gotten up a little bit more. <laughs> There was a couple of engineers that I worked with back in the day, a record plant guy, and I never saw that guy get out of the chair. I don't think he peed. He never ate. He would sit in that chair for 14 hours a day, every day. And I'm guessing he might have some back he issues. He might have or, some back or hip issues. You know, because you just can't sit in a chair that like It's just not good for you. So, you know, every hour you should get up and walk around a little bit and kind of not be so static. I don't know if that's where it came from, but it kind of caught up with me after all those years. And let's talk about the business end of things. Mm -hmm. So you've worked with some heavy duty bands and you've seen a lot of different ways financially one can manage oneself in doing records and, and making music. So is it just like the idea of points on a record for you? Is that like, yeah, there's no more points. There's like, no more. Okay. The only thing I will say about the points is like, I will talk to the bands and say, look, I don't want to have that not get me to do this project. Like, I'm not going to fight over three points of nothing or potentially nothing at the moment. But if you get signed or if you get paid, then I should be included in that. Like, if we do a record that you turn around and you make a bunch of money off of because somebody signs you, then you should take care of the people who helped you get there. But if you're doing this yourselves and you're paying for it, I'm not chasing you around for three points on digital downloads, you know, in this day and age, because I'm just not going to do it. It's a pain in the ass. And hopefully you work with record companies that take care of you. Like I will have to say Epitaph, who mm -hmm. I've done work with, is still really good about paying me. Like I get paid royalties from Rancid still, digital downloads, stuff I did for Less Than Jake, I still get paid. Other companies, not so good. <laughs> Some of the big ones are like, yeah, we're not going to pay you anymore. And if you want to chase them down, you can do it. So if you can steer bands to companies that are good in business and actually pay you, then that's cool. But I'm not going to chase a local band around for percentage of their record sales because they're probably not going to make it back and if they do then hopefully they're solid enough to where they'll say okay here's your percentage and we'll take care of you so no matter the band i mean do you just have a set rate and then you have this conversation if i you know i kind of the, i do have that conversation and the rate kind of depends a little bit like i just want to work the problem with doing this is if you stop working <laughs> the water comes up and it gets above your eyes and you get underwater. So the rate that I have kind of depends. Like if it's something that's cool and the band doesn't have a ton of money and I have time, let's go. If they, I can get closer to my rate, then that's cool. I just want to keep working all the time. So I'm not going to sit at home and go, well, that's what I make and I, that's what I'm going to wait for. And if I don't get it, then I'm just going to sit at home. I'd rather work for less and just kind of keep working and putting stuff out in the world. And yeah. so it kind of varies. Sometimes you get a little, sometimes you get a little bit more, sometimes you get a lot, and sometimes it's in between. And So you teach as well. What do you, do you teach your students about the money issues? I kind of teach them the same thing. You know, there was a guy years ago that I learned from that I kind of use his thing, and his name was Stephen Jarvis. And Stephen was a dude who rented us equipment. And Stephen's thing was, I just want there to be great recordings. So when you called Stephen to rent, and this 
this was kind of back when we started getting equipment, outboard equipment. Like you, you get a couple of channels in Neve or a Massenberg or whatever. And he had everything. He had hundreds of boxes of anything you want. So you'd call Steve and he'd say, okay, I got a budget for two Neve 1073s or, or whatever it was and one box of Massenberg. And Stephen would show up with 10 boxes of stuff. And it's like, dude, I don't have the money for that. I just rented that one or two things. And he goes, Michael, I just want you to make a great record and use this stuff to make a great record. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, he would bring all of this stuff. So what happened is, like, when I did get big budget records, I would, the first thing on my list is I would fill out my Stephen Jarvis list and make sure that he got paid for everything. Like, I would rent a ton of stuff and give him money for that. So it's kind of like you do what you can do. You know what I mean? Like, when I had the money, then everybody got paid. And when I don't have the money, then we all kind of take a little bit less or whatever. So... That's kind of the way it works with the students. You're, you know, like coming up, like you, you always try your best and you always try and do what you can do. And sometimes you work, do with a little less, sometimes you do with a little bit more. And if you're working with good people, they kind of hopefully recognize that. And when they see it, they go, oh, like you went above and beyond. I got a little bit more. Now you get a little bit more. This project, I have a little bit less. We all take a little bit less. So it kind of rises and sinks all boats at the same time, I guess. That's that's a common theme I've I've noticed about you is you're like, you made a generous offer to me to come and work here because I've kept some gear here and yeah. I'm keeping more gear here. But you're very generous in that way. You're very like, hey, I'm doing all right, so let's let's all share in this. Kind well, of you know, thing. I kind of had a weird epiphany when I had my hip surgery this year. I had a project booked and... I couldn't do it. I went, oh, I'm going to be recovering from surgery. And I went, I need an engineer. And I went, who, who could I call? And I kind of hit a wall and I went, wait a second, like I'm teaching audio and doing this and maybe I'm not teaching well enough or I haven't got the next wave of doing this. You know, I want the next wave of engineers to happen. I want, cause I'm at the end of this thing. I'm closer to the end than the beginning is doing this. So I want to see this continue. I like this art form. So I think that I'm going to, I've sort of rededicated myself to making sure that the next crop of engineers that's going to kick my ass is in the pipeline. So I have a couple of kids that I was teaching and, and somebody I worked with that you worked with. I want the next group of people to be way better so that I go, well, your stuff sounds better than my stuff here. You engineer, I'll sit on the couch and I'll just tell them what to do. And, and you know, the business has changed. So it's just like, there's going to be a whole new paradigm for it. So might as well get the next group of kids in and help them out. And, you know, I want to see this kind of continue to go on. And I think it should go on it's a little different you know like so many kids just want to make beats beats mm -hmm. and bars and i think that we still need to kind of keep the rock thing and recording acoustic bands and drummers and guitar players is a little different and i don't know if that's quite as covered as it is in the home thing you know like everybody can get a laptop with ableton and fl and do stuff at home but mike and a drum kit or guitar cabinets or acoustic guitars that kind of is lagging a little bit but even i mean the technology is around drum samples, cymbal samples, which have always been kind of a the telltale sign of a poor programming event. Kemper amps, you know, yeah, yeah. Like all that the, stuff. It's all, all in that, all, all in a box. All that in the box stuff has really come a long way. So it does enable one to work out of the bedroom, but I totally agree with what you're saying about just the art form of capturing acoustic instruments, acoustic guitars, drum sets, amps, yeah. and a group of people playing in the same room. 
Yeah, that whole Kemper, like, it's it's all super interesting, but I went to see a metal show, I don't know, maybe six months ago, and it was like, I thought I was in a doctor's office. Like, they, they were all on Kempers on uh-huh. stage. Really? They all had iPads doing their own monitor mix, and the only thing coming off the stage was like a kick and a snare, because he had samples, and it was like, that's not what a rock band's supposed to sound like. That means if you get there early and you stand in the front, right in front of the band, you actually have the worst seat in the house, because all the stuff's coming out of the PA besides you and Mm -hmm. like used to be standing in front so you could feel the band coming off the stage there was nothing coming off the stage you're like well wait a second there's like there's no sound there they're all just going into a Kemper plugged into the console and coming out the PA speakers and I went well this is horrible and not only (laughs) and not only that but they looked like they were playing this metal stuff with such earnestness like they looked like they were doing quadratic equations on stage it's like they weren't smiling they weren't laughing they weren't looking at the crowd it's like that's not cool like you know this is supposed to be interacting with people not watching guys do math so you you know you mentioned the the kids that want to make beats in in school but what are the other things that you're noticing in new students that are that are cropping up oh well that's an interesting question what's the most noticeable thing to you positive or negative that's an interesting question i would say on the negative side is that they don't pay attention to sounds as much like oh, is that a stereo thing? Is there a reverb on that? Is there a delay? Like, they're not as concerned with the production side. Like, oh, well, I need to put reverb on when you sing so you feel like you have a little something giving you something back. They're they're just kind of going through it and they're just trying to get some stuff done. A lot of them. And then a lot of them are completely buried in it, like the EDM guys, which I think is more sound design. Hmm. They're doing that. But I would say, like, just what we're used to as being in a studio, it's like, creating a situation where you want to perform like when you hear something back it inspires you and you you sound good coming through the headphones mm-hmm. so that would be on the negative side maybe a little lack of curiosity about recording and like oh let me move a mic let me try this it's just like they're trying to just get to it like let me just sing or, or get to the the bars instead of just like thinking about what it is and kind of creating a space where you feel like you're ready to create So you think that there's a lack of curiosity? A little bit. I think like some of them are like, well, let's just get to it. There's a mic, let's just record. And you're like, well, wait a second. Don't you want to have them feel like you're in a space that's kind of magical? Like one of my favorite stories that I tell them is when I worked with Journey, we set up a vocal booth for Steve. And the first thing we did, I made sure that the headphone box was set up loosely. We had his microphone going to a preamp, to a compressor with reverb and stuff on it. Because as soon as he walked in the room, he went out to the room where he was going to sing and he walked up to the mic and he started singing, right? He put on headphones and he started singing. And if that thing wasn't on, it'd be like, womp, 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 right? But I had it kind of loosely dialed in. So when he sang, there was reverb and he heard himself and he's like, oh, that's rad. Like, <laughs> all right, this is going to be cool. And like that part of it, like they, they, they can't be bothered. Like the young kids is like, well, just sing. And it's like, you don't want to just sing. You want to sing. You want to feel magic. You want goosebumps. You want things to make you go, yeah, like let's do this thing. Yeah, because nothing steals the magic quicker than like futzing with gear. Oh my God, nobody cares there. about gear, dude. They don't care. The big stars don't care. They just want stuff to happen. And that's why like I try and be super fast. I think I'm pretty fast. I try and teach people to be super fast because nobody cares. If, you know, Here, let me just twist a knob for a second. Fuck that. You just want to step up and go, right? So you don't want to watch you or me twiddling knobs. That's not the fun part. You just want to walk up and go, oh, I got this. Let's go. Hit play. Hit record. Let's, let's, let's do it. 
Are you noticing any changes in the bands that you're working with in their attitudes about recording or their approach to recording? Or I mean, you've worked with a lot of different people over the years, so... I think everybody wants everything faster. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, like I think I was talking with Ann or some other people about this too, like, oh my God, it took that band two weeks to get drum sounds. My bands would not put up with two weeks worth. I can't even get some of them to last two hours. If you, you're spending more than an hour in a kick drum, you're losing them these days. They're just like, everybody wants things just fast, fast, fast. It's just like this, you know, the whole Pro Tools thing, like we were talking earlier about mixing and in the box. Like, I don't want to wait for you to get a mix up. I just want you to hit load, have it come up, make my change, hit save. And so the whole thing is just speed like being really fast, I think, and being able to get in and out without having somebody wait for you. So how does that change how you work versus now versus how you used to work? I was always pretty fast because my first experience, like I, maybe I told this story before, I don't know, but I, when I was a, a kid coming up at Fantasy, I was one of my first sessions, I was recording Art Blakey. And this was on tape, Studio A, Fantasy, big band, Art Blakey, famous drummer. Yeah. And they start jamming. And about a minute into him jamming, I went, oh, shit. He's not stopping. Like, I should have been recording. Like, I thought I was working on sounds. Like, I was doing my Michael thing. Like, I'm going to get that kick drum perfect, make that snare drum perfect. And he got to the end of it, and I was just like... And my first boss told me, if you mess up, you got to fess up, right? So as soon as he stopped, I went... I didn't think that was a take, Mr. Blakey. I'm sorry. Like, I was getting sounds. And he goes, son, come here. And he goes, this is how this gig works. You hit play and record, we record. You want to mess with the kick drum, do it on your own time. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so it was all about getting to them first rather than me tweaking on a kick drum. So I learned from that moment on, you better be super fast. So if that meant me getting to the session two hours early so I can putz around with signal chains and I'm going to use this preamp to that compressor and this and tap it on the mic to make sure that it worked. So when bro sat down and he messed around, I had about 10 or 15 minutes to kind of get him. I got him in 10 or 15 minutes. Anything after that, I'd fix on the playback or on the board mixing it. So I learned pretty early because I did a bunch of jazz guys at Fantasy. They did not care. They wanted to get to the buffet by 630 because that's the free food. <laughs> they were all doing gigs at night, records during the day. So you better get on it. I learned pretty early on to be fast at this. Did working on jazz records inform how you worked on rock records? Not particularly, just the speed, just knowing that you had like one shot at it. It's like if you're in the middle of a take and your volume's a little low, you don't go and jack up the preamp because he's not probably going to redo that. So if it's low, it's going to be low for the whole recording and you can fix it after the fact. It was kind of scramble, scramble, scramble. Okay, they're recording, hands up. <laughs> it was like chopped or something, you know, like time's up, take your hands off and you would just go, okay, that's it. They're going to redo a different take. Then you can make your adjustments. So you kind of kept mental notes of like what you needed to fix or what you didn't get. And if you couldn't fix it on the record side, you keep the mental notes for mixing it going, oh, I was a little low on that one because I, I didn't get a chance to do that. So then you kind of fix it when you were mixing and stuff like that. So they were all about speed and vibe. And now that I'm thinking about it, the record I did with Oscar Peterson, we all sat in a semicircle with no headphones. Not one person in that band was wearing headphones. And if you were too loud, Oscar would yell at you, can't you hear me? I'm three feet away. Play softer. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. So like they did what this open kind of concept is, live on the floor. Guy said, well, I didn't hear the change. And he said, then you're playing too loud. You're not listening to what I'm doing. And you're like, okay. So pay attention, you know, listen to the other cats that you're playing with. You know, having a 
a strong personality within a band lead a band. Is that less common these days in your experience? No, I would say that there's always, there's still always a hierarchy. I, I think it has to be. I think like somebody has got to be in charge and somebody, you know, I always liken it to like a baseball team. There's got to be a closer. There's got to be an opener. There's got to be some guy in the setup. Like if you know when the game starts and you're the closer, come the fourth inning, you're not getting ready. You're getting ready in the seventh or the eighth. So I think that people respond a little bit better when they kind of know what their gig is. You know, if the bass player's not writing lead solos, he just knows he has to be solid. And hmm. I think that that still holds true. I think there's always in a band, there's always like the number one, the number two, and then the number six or whoever that guy is. Like, yeah, he's just a bass player or he's, I think there's always going to be like somebody who's the guy and somebody who's almost the guy and then somebody who's not the guy or gal. So you, you kind of hinted at how you want to help the younger generation come up and that you're on the other side of, of this so at your age now and what the future holds, like, what do you like in your mind? How are you plotting out like the next 20 years? I'm going to do this as long as I can. And then my daughter's studying to be a vet. I'm going to be that crazy guy running her front desk when she becomes a vet, handing out cannabis pops, and <laughs> playing with your dog when you bring him in to get checked over, you know. So I'm going to do this as long as I can because I still love it. It still makes me happy. It still changes me vibrationally. When I listen to great music, it makes me hopeful and care about stuff. So as long as I can hear and people still call me, I'll still do it. I don't know how much longer. I mean, I've just built a studio, so it's going to be for a while. And yeah, I mean, what else am I going to do? People say retire. It's like retire from what? I know. What? Like to, to do what? This is what I've wanted to do since Are I was gonna 16. Are you going to go do you play golf every day? I don't play golf. Right. There <laughs> I might go. be able to get back into tennis, but still it's like, I mean, this is what I do. This is what I love to do. So I'm going to stop doing this so I can do something else. I don't know. I don't do anything else. Like this yeah. is kind of what I do. I know. And there's all those stories of people that work their asses off. And then eventually like the day they go retire, like they, they have die. a heart attack They're... and die. <laughs> well, you know, the other funny thing though, Matt, about like the students that I have to say is we could be a little crusty, like, ah, oh, music's not what it used to be. One of the things I've kind of done is like used my students to have them turn me on to new music. Like we'll have like every once in a while in class, like, okay, play me some stuff. You guys come up to my computer, pull up some stuff on YouTube and let's see what's up. There's a lot of really good music out there. There's a ton. And it's, some of it's really well recorded and some of it's really, really good. And some of it's bad, but it's still really good. So for all of us who kind of go, oh, music sucks. It's like, yeah, I might have to disagree. Like they're turning me on to stuff that I've never heard of. It's like, oh, well, that's Atlanta hip hop or that's low rock from the Southeast. And it's like, I never heard of that band. Or And then you get the YouTube thing and you go in the rabbit hole and you find 10 other bands on the, the scroll. And you're like, going, where's all this music coming from? So it's kind of weird that there's a lot of good music. We're just not getting paid to do it a lot. It's getting a little bit tighter. And that part we need to fix for sure. Yeah. And I know that for the most part, I think you and I are both rock-oriented people, and I I also would consider myself a jazz fan. You know, I listen to a lot of jazz, but mostly jazz that was done in the 50s or the 60s. Yeah. And surprisingly, there's still a ton of rock and roll and a ton of jazz being recorded that comes out. It's just not seeing the popularity that Cardi B is seeing or something like that yeah. these days. And it always surprises me when I come across something that's up my alley musically and really well done. And I've talked about it before, but if you haven't heard them, you've got to check out the Black Pumas. Oh, yeah. The cool. Black Pumas are from Austin. I discovered them just kind of streaming and was like, oh, my God, who's this? And I just went all in, bought the shirt, bought the vinyl, 
went to the show at the independent, you know, felt like they're, I had a responsibility. They're from Austin? They're from Austin. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like I had a responsibility to support the band by, you know, buying the merchandise that helps the band. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. that's what needs to change is that we need to figure out a mechanism to where, okay, so maybe back in the past, that system didn't work where 20 bands became multi-billionaires and the rest were sort of sucking tailpipes. But now everybody's sucking a tailpipe. I mean, you have to have it so that bands can at least make enough money to afford to record themselves to present it to the public and not have to come hand in hat every time like oh buy my like i mean the whole spotify thing and all i mean it's ridiculous i mean come on you have to at least be able to make enough to finance your next thing maybe you don't have to become super wealthy off of the recording but what's going on now is crazy i mean that's just you can't make enough off of streaming or whatever it is to finance the next recording that's not cool one thing that I like to do is when I come across artists that I, I really love, I don't have to be in the room for it to be streaming. I'll, I'll let the whole record loop while I'm in bed asleep. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, in an effort to like generate streams for the band. That's, I, I had never thought about that, Matt. That's actually not a bad idea. You can just put that stuff on loop. That's a good I'll idea. Just turn the volume down while I'm sleeping, huh? But why should it be that they have to do that? Like, why is some dude who's running Spotify making a bazillion dollars when the oh. people making the content that's making him a bazillion, dollars. a bazillion dollars can't even afford from their streaming to pay for the next product that's going to make him a bazillion dollars? That's just not cool. Like, yeah. That's not... You know, again, maybe it doesn't have to be that they become Metallica or Journey or whatever it is from back in the day and get paid a ton. But, you know, if you want somebody to make something that you want to listen to, shouldn't you have to pay them to be able to afford to do that? That's not cool. Yeah, I think we just have to think outside the box on, on how to support bands. And when you do find the band, figure out what you can do to be a, a super fan yeah. to help them out in, in ways but yeah, I agree. There's so much great music out there. It's I was kind of blown away, to be honest. Like, you know, we would dive in and they would play me this and then I'd click on something else. It's like, wow. Like, we kind of bitching, oh, get off my lawn and, you know, all this stuff. It's like, there's actually a lot of good music out there. It's just harder to get to or more challenging. You know, I, I'm not really listening to people's playlists. Like, for some reason, that kind of bothers me. I don't want to sit through, you know, Jimmy Jabs and Topeka's playlist to get to a couple of songs. I kind of like the DJ thing, but that's kind of where it is like with playlists and stuff like that. But I mean, it's kind of encouraging in some ways that you go, wow, there's actually is music out there. Now, if we could just make it so that people could make a decent living and kind of survive doing it. So more people could hear this, that it, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's just a different way to kind of get at it or something like that. Yeah. yeah I don't know. And the crazy thing is like with hip hop, some of my kids, they'll, they can pick that stuff up in like seconds. So, oh, well that's Southeast Florida trap rock blah 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 and i'm like it all sounded like hip-hop to me and it's like oh no well listen to the hi-hat listen to what they're doing here and it's like oh that's minnesota blah 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 and it's like so you guys actually can hear stuff you're just listening for something different than what right. we're trained for because they can pick out the region on their hip-hop in like two seconds where i'm just like going hip-hop well i mean just when you say that the minute i hear eddie van halen's guitar or Copeland's hi -hat, it's just like Right. So, the, but their stuff is even more chopped up. It's crazy because you're right. Like there was Southern rock, there was hardcore from back East, there was Southern Cal. So it was a little broader. Mm -hmm. The hip hop is chopped up. Like, okay, you're talking Southeast Atlanta, you're talking North Atlanta, you're talking oh, yeah. Athens. You know, you're like, well, that's only 10 minutes across town. And that's like this thing. So, 
So it's funny, like at the mm. same time that they're not as concerned with certain things, there are definitely like, oh, that's from Atlanta, that's from Tallahassee, and you're like, huh. Oh, yeah, there's okay. nuance and subtlety in hip-hop that's... Yeah. Well, so we're about out of time, but I wanted to ask, do you bother yourself with promotion, with website, with any so of that? So I've, this studio, I've decided to try and get into it. Okay. Like I've... I've my daughter, who's been helping out with social media, she's doing all kinds of media stuff. I'm going to try the first time, like, actually pimping. Like, I have Instagram. I have a website that's going to be updated with new pictures from this studio. Because even if it's not me, like I was saying, it's, I just want this studio to be booked. I want people to, to use it to record. Like, if it's not me recording, like you or Anne-Marie or some of these young kids or outside engineers. I know you had Rayto on. Because there are so many people doing that hybrid thing where it's like I have a little room at home where I could mix and do overdubs, I kind of want the studio to be a bigger place where you can come and do tracks. And then if you have to go home, you can go home, right? So there's a, a bunch of engineers I know, like I said, like Rayto and Adam Munoz and people who worked at Fantasy and bigger studios who had a bigger place to work out of that don't so much anymore. So I kind of foresee it as a place like, oh, I need a place to come in and track for three days. Cool. There's the studio for three days. I'll go and mix in the box or do something else. And then you can take it back to your little cave or your little studio so you can make money because that's how we have to do it these days. You know, that's how we kind of did it back in the day, even at Fantasy when I was doing all the metal records. I'd cut drums in Studio A for three days. Then I'd go into Studio B for five weeks, six weeks at a third of the price. And then I'd mix in Studio D for a week. So you kind of have to bounce around a little bit to kind of be able to make your nut mm -hmm. and get have everybody help out a little bit. So I'm going to try this time and kind of pimp a little bit and see if it can kind of get a little bit busier. I wasn't not busy before. My phone keeps ringing somehow. I don't know. I, people still call me and say, hey, we want to do records. So yeah. it's kind of cool. I, I kind of want to feel like it's a clubhouse a little bit more. Like I know people because I have a lot of gear that I've collected for a long time that's really important to me so i don't really foresee like doing a random vocal on a thursday from two to six for somebody but some variation of kind of being open like people i know who need a place who want to work and stuff that's cool that maybe is a little bit different not just a random hourly thing probably not going to do like the podcast vocals and you know <laughs> voiceover stuff because it's not quiet enough i know that a lot right. of those people need like dead silent rooms and all that stuff and it's it's a cool way to make money doing audio it's not my thing particularly i've done i did one book on tape years and years ago and it's just like yeah i got to page 275 and i just they lost me <laughs> well on that note i'll put links to all of this that you're talking about in the show notes so people can go and check it out and, oh cool and reach out yeah well i'm glad that you're still doing this dude as you're up to episode 300 and almost know, like, that's pretty rad I almost think that, there you know and you're part of like keeping the community going like sort of what i'm doing is talking about this and giving people a forum is that's what we do so we got to do keep on recording keep all on right recording. well thanks man yeah thanks for having me okay our friends over at cali audio have just introduced the brand new lp unf system which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere and the system is specifically designed for your desk so no matter how else you're using your desk reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for 
giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to CaliAudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Michael Rosen here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Want to thank Anne-Marie Plow for the editing, Cliff Truesdale for the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith for his lovely voice. As usual, connect with me on LinkedIn. Stop by the Working Class Audio website. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.